Sci-Fi for Me Radio presents Timothy Harvey, Jason Hunt. This is H2O. We are back for another week. We're always back for another week. I know. We are back for another week. We're always back. We're always back. It just keeps pulling <laughs> me back in. Uh, I have my Force Awakens t-shirt. Yes. With the Millennium Falcon on it. Mm-hmm. I have my Empire Strikes Back mug. Yes. With fresh coffee. Yes. So I would say that we're prepared because you have your fresh coffee. I do. In a, in a sci-fi for me mug. Yes. So I would say that we are prepared to continue our fisking of Richard Brody's review of the f- of Rogue One in the New Yorker magazine. Now I I need to I need to stress that we are not picking on Mr. Brody simply because you know we're picking on Mr. Brody. We're just we're just going after this review because it's a Really pretentious, <laughs> terrible review. Uh, welcome, everyone. This episode of H2O. My name is Jason Hunt. I am Timothy Harvey. And we are uh, still still getting used to this 35-minute thing. Right. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing our best to, to try to stay in that time limit. We even have a clock. We do. We have a clock telling us how much time we've got left. So... Uh, so, yeah, we are uh, – last week, for those of you who missed it, last week we started uh, picking apart and analyzing and critiquing Mr. Brody's critique of Rogue One and his questioning as to whether or not the Star Wars franchise is even worth the time anymore. And I think we left off with his – thoughts about john williams music yeah (laughs) which i gotta say you know if 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 we put mr brody in a box full of ants (laughs) and covered him with honey and played john williams music it would still be fine well, and you know, here, here, okay, here's a couple of things I want to I, say. I'm, I kid, I kid. Yeah, well, I, I, there's, I, a, there's a couple of things we need to think about here. First of all, um, he is not the only person to have given the uh, Rogue One a negative review or a mixed review. No, he's not. And, and we are not talking about his review because it's a negative review. Plenty of other people <laughs> had issues. Yeah. It's just a okay. So. I understand that if you are an organization and you have somebody whose job it is to go review films or books or television or review a product of some kind. Right. And you send that person out to review those products. Yes. um, They are probably, unless they are incredibly well-versed in everything, going to have a knowledge base and an interest base. It is not going to cover everything in the world. True. Right? So, And there are lots of different kinds of movies out there. Yes. And not everyone is a science fiction fan. What? It's, I know. That is crazy talk. Well, yeah, it, sadly. Especially now in this day and age when everything is mainstream and, and everything yeah, is. But it's, it's not for everybody. I mean, and there are, okay, my mother does not, my mother's, the television is on uh-huh. and she's doing something else. You know, she's she's my mother doesn't even have the television on. And, you know, my mom, my mom, who is an incredibly intelligent woman. I mean, she she's taught. She was, she was a teacher. She was a teacher yeah. and a math teacher. 
Um, I was a terrible disappointment. Um, as a, I'm not a good math student. Was? What? No. <laughs> oh. <Adapter. laughs> Maybe a little still. But um, she, I mean, just, she's very, very smart. She loves romance novels. Um, that's, that's the kind of entertainment, that's the kind of, you know, she wants to turn her brain off and just enjoy the, you know, the, the, and I'm not even talking like the, the you know, written by historians romance. I'm talking like the Harlequin kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, that's, that's. With the, the fancy pictures on the front. She wants to turn off her brain and just enjoy herself for an hour and a half, which is all it takes to read one of those things. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, but. I know. I sat down and I read like three. I didn't under as a teenager. I was like, Mom, what are you doing? I sat down and I read three of them in two hours. Why <laughs> did you even go the I was hoping this, I was hoping the second one would, might be better. And then the third <laughs> one was like, there's got to be a control here. The first two can't. And I was like, no, never mind. I'm done. Yeah. Um, and I became something of actually a, a fairly knowledgeable about the romance industry when I was a used book dealer because it's a huge chunk of the business. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so I learned which authors to recommend. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, um, when my mother went to go get her hair did, as as Dustin would probably say. Sure. We, uh, we'd go, my sister and I would go with her, mm. you know, and we're, you know, grade school. Yeah. And next door to the hair salon, it was mm. called the Hairnet. Of course. And next okay, door sure. was, a, was a used bookstore. Mm-hmm. And they had, they didn't have the shelves like you would normally expect shelves. I mean, they had shelves wrapped around the entire exterior wall. Okay, sure. All the way around, right? But down the middle, they had... Uh, trays almost. It was it was like um, it's kind of hard to describe. It's a tabletop, and the books were inserted vertically with their spines up. Oh, okay. In sure. right. in this, you know, basically, you know, these two by four frames, right? And the books sat on edge. So instead of sitting up on a shelf like you know vertical. Sure, they were right. they were down into the into the thing, and you could see all of the spines, all of the titles, mm-hmm. and everything else. And I'd spent hours in there. Sure, uh, the, it also had the distinction of being where I bought my marathon bars. Uh huh. You, know, you remember marathon bars? Sure, they were those yeah. long chains of caramel covered with chocolate. Mm-hmm. And now you can get, uh, what are they called? They're called. Oh, there's a there's another one out there, but it's not the Marathon Bar. Right. The Marathon Bar is gone. Now, in England, the Marathon Bar is what we call Snickers. It's called the Marathon Bar in England. Oh, okay. That's not what I'm talking sure, about. Sure, right. I'm talking about the chain mm-hmm. of caramel covered in chocolate. Right. They were so good. <laughs> I got one every single time. I was like, Mom, okay. I'm going to the next door to the bookstore. Okay. <laughs> and I'd, I'd get me a marathon bar, and I'd just browse the shelves. But yeah, sure. in, uh, but I remember in that bookstore, the romance novels oh, yeah. took up so much room. Yeah, well, it's a huge part. Of, it's a huge part of the the industry. Um, but um, the point there, my little digression into the wonderful world of romance novels, is that not everyone's a science fiction fan, and. There's an argument to be made that if you're telling a story for a large audience, if you're pretty making a blockbuster movie, you should be trying to make it for a wide audience. That's kind of a flawed argument. There's so many different shades of of gray in here because you know if you are Star Wars movies are made for Star Wars fans. Yeah, I mean you're not, and and I think the biggest problem with that New Yorker review is that he's someone who doesn't really 
I mean, he admits it. He admits he doesn't really know the series. He does, yeah, he, he, he doesn't just, even get it. Yeah, so, yeah. and to some degree, that's fine. And I said this last week, he doesn't have to like it, and yeah. he doesn't have to get it. It has, doesn't have to be his thing. Well, the, Why the New Yorker had him review it the is irony, a really good question. The irony of that is in his review, he talks about the, when he saw Star Wars for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't a journalist at the time. He wasn't a movie critic at the time. He was just going to see, you know, what is this Star Wars thing? And it yeah. was, and it was, if I if I read the article right, it was when special editions came out. He was not he was not there for the original screenings. Right, right. He saw the rest of it, and didn't see what all the fuss was about because, well, this is just a knockoff of the old Saturday morning serials and Saturday morning serials. You went next week to Saturday and figured out, you know, what happened next and what happened next was Saturday. And then Saturday was what happened next. And, you know, you didn't have to wait three years for it. And I thought he's, he's getting it, but he's missing it entirely. Well, this is clearly, these are clearly movies that are not, things that appeal to him and that's okay mm-hmm. but it's such a but it's the way he right. says it and and don't again don't don't misunderstand us here it's okay to criticize this movie um let's see here yeah because you found a whole whole oh, list sure, of them. sure and i think that i think that there's some very valid criticisms that that people have had okay um some of them are a little odd uh the british um um paper the independent Said it was too much like a Star Wars movie, which I thought was curious. I, I there's there's more to their argument, and it's it's but it's uh, the headline is it's you know, well their basic argument is his argument was that uh, Christopher Hooten was that it shouldn't be just relying on being a Star Wars movie. There should be more to it, and he to him it felt like it was much too much like it was relying too much on the Star Wars yeah. brand, and and I think that. You know, okay, I, I can I can see his argument. The characters have been criticized as being a little too thin, and I can I, yeah, see I that can argument see that because it, they did feel a little thin to me. But sure, it feels like they were thin because something's got cut. It not because it's certainly it was, possible. It's, it's not because they started thin. Um, the New Republic, the review said it was too serious. Uh, the New Yorker said that. Uh, which is Brody. Which is Brody. You know, all the things that he said. Um, there's too much going on. Uh, the New York Times, A.O. Scott, thought that it was too cluttered, basically. Um, and that uh, things weren't given enough weight. And there's this, there's this idea here of talking about, you know, the rebellion and what it means to be the right. rebelling in, in this, against this force. You know, what are, the, what are the sacrifices? What are the ends justify the means? Questions. Felt like there should have been more of that. No. Um, now, there was that scene between Cassian and Jen at the, at the end before they go off to Scarif. Yeah. Where he sits there and says, and, and this, could have, it, this felt like it could have been a beefier scene mm-hmm. at one point. But he sits there and says, you know, he's pointing to this group of people. And he says, we've all done Charles Barkley terrible things well, in we the have... name of the rebellion. We've done these evil, despicable things. Well, and and if the rebellion falls apart, we've all done it for nothing. And I couldn't live myself. Well, and you see him straight up murder a guy at the beginning of the film. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's and that does have weight because if he had not done that at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. then what he says at the end is just words. 
because we see he's willing to make those sacrifices in the name of the rebellion. Sure, but I'd he's re- even willing to kill her father mm-hmm. in the name of the rebellion. But he starts to realize, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's another way to do this. But he still sits there and says, if this was all for mm-hmm. naught, right. we're sunk. Right, but I think that you could argue very persuasively that if you'd had fewer characters, you could focus more on those kind of stories. And oh, you yeah. had that depth there. And that's, I think that's a very valid argument. I think uh, the other comparison that you can make is the fact that Rogue One had so many different locations that's actually, that the other that's, Star Wars movies right. did not. And that's actually a criticism of one of the other reviewers yeah. here. The, the film bounces around too much. It's See different places. I did there? I know. The San Francisco Chronicle, Mick LaSalle, says it's too much of a war movie. As opposed to the Star Wars films, which are these epic adventure films right. with a war. Right. This is too much of a war movie. Um, and, you know, I think that that's... Well, I'll come back to that in a minute, because I, I have a definite point. That's something else that pops up in other places. Okay. The Nathal, uh, Stephen uh, Gradonis, Gradonis, I'm sorry, uh, sir, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Uh, the National Catholic Register says it doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie, because it doesn't have the things that go with Star Wars. I mean, you know, you see a lightsaber once... The force is this thing that's happening to other people. Yeah, right. Um, there was a lightsaber in that movie. There's a scene at the end where this character, who I'm sure we'll see more of in the later, oh films, that, right. <laughs> um, He'll be in the sequel, I'm sure. <laughs> the Philadelphia Inquirer thought it was too many pieces of other films crammed together. It didn't feel like it was original enough. Mm. Um, and I'll come back to that argument here in a minute as well. Um, you only got 22 minutes. I know. <laughs> now, I didn't, now, Amy Nicholson, I, I, wish I, I wish I had had more time to delve into these and we had more time to talk about, and we're not going to spread this off into a... You know, part three! Part, no, we, yeah. we don't need to do part three. But um, Amy Nicholson over at MTV, um, she, she mentioned something in here that I, I kind of felt was... A thing that some people were seeing, and I completely didn't see it, and I think I didn't see it for I think the right reasons. She talks about the quasi quasi romantic tension between Jin and uh, Cassian. It was a little bit there, yeah, but it is so Ish. minor. Yeah, it's like we could be, but no, and then it's gone. And I think that's that was actually it was. Ref- I was happy about that. I was okay. Yeah, with I, was, that. I, I was glad they. I didn't, didn't want a love story in there no. because I, I think that actually would have made it. That would have been a piece of clutter for the story they were trying to tell. Well, especially considering that Jin is the Princess Leia character-ish, yeah. and Cassian is dressed like Han Solo. No. I mean, uh, well, don't do that. Amy says that the relationship is a fizzle, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the point. Um you know, and so, so she was looking for it to happen, well, she was, and it didn't yeah, happen. She felt she like there, that if you're going to bring it up, if you're going to put it out there as a maybe, then uh-huh. take it to its conclusion. Yeah, but, which is which worked out so well for Moonlighting. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, you know. For those of you who are <laughs> <laughs> not of a certain age. Well, in the New York Times, parts of the, there's, you know, the New York Times called it drudgery at one point. They felt the film was just too slow. Really? Well, it just didn't, it, a schoolbook exercise in the course of a study that has no useful application that will never end. School has no useful application. You hear some people tell it. Yeah, I <coughs> massively disagree with that. But He's, anyway, he says as he looks upstairs. Uh, the San Francisco Chronicle uh-huh. didn't particularly said didn't particularly care for it. Um, See, that's George Lucas's home turf. You'd think uh, that they'd be a little bit more supportive of their. The Denver Post uh, called it a glorified corporate branding exercise. Ooh. Star Wars fans will practically feel Disney's fingers in their wallet. So, so clearly. 
you know, it's not it's not a question of picking on the New Yorker because they wrote a bad review. This is not a right. you can't say anything bad about the film. But you can't. <laughs> well, but I, I think that, well, and we, and we went into some of this last week. It was not. It's not the fact that that Brody didn't like the film. Right. It's not the fact that anybody doesn't like the film. Right. I mean, if you don't like the film, you don't like the film. Exactly. That's fine. It's the way it, it is. The high-handed, elitist, pedantic. I'm just okay, on well, and on. The well, run-on sentences well, the are just incredibly terrible. long. Oh, you know, and the funny thing, I sat and I looked at uh, Brody's got his own page, you know, sure, a, sta- uh-huh. a staff page, meet, yeah. meet the staff type yeah. of thing. And there's a little video there mm-hmm. that's kind of a profile of him, and he's sure. talking in there. He doesn't talk like that. He doesn't talk the way he writes. He writes in such a pretentious voice, but he doesn't talk like that in real life. Well, what concerns me about reviews like this, and I think it's a little broader than just picking on him particularly, although not, not a fan of his review by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's poorly written. I think it's... A critic should speak from a position of knowledge and authority. Yeah. Now, this is not to say that all critics do this, because critics often, you know, there's a range. There's a good critics and bad critics and everybody in the middle, right? Well, and you talk about uh, you know knowing your subject. Yeah, but you should at least have you should at least have a basic knowledge base of what you're talking about. Yeah, and if you want to use big words, fine. I like big words. <laughs> I am a huge fan of big words. People who people who read you use them yourself. Sometimes. I do. Well, if you read my reviews, every now and again you'll come across some word that I have pulled out of the dustbin of history and dusted off and thrown in the middle of my review. Because some of those a, have more than three syllables. I, I just think it's a nifty word. Yeah. Nifty. Um. <laughs> Swell. Swell. Uh. <laughs> well, was... I mean, because we have, we have writers you know, that, that tackle subjects they're not entirely familiar oh, with. sure. And, and they sit down and they do their research. They do homework. It's called due diligence. Well, and not even, not even, okay. Do your research, Yes. Know your subject. It's always a good idea. If you're going to write a review about a science fiction film, know something about science fiction films. Right. <coughs> if you're going to do a review about a, a film in a series, know something about the series. If you're going to do horror or romance or comedy, and you have a sense of what it is, right? Right. If you don't like a particular subject, if it does nothing for you, it's not even active dislike. It just isn't your cup of tea. Give it to somebody else who might actually be able to look at it and, and, look, and have it... A review written from a stand of not caring about the subject matter in general and not having an interest in the subject matter in general is not a benefit to the person reading the review. Well, right. See, the point, here's the point of writing a review. It's not so that you can hear what I think. Um, You know, I write reviews for this site. Um, I do a podcast every week, more than one podcast every week, but you know, one that specifically that it is about, you know, the, the walking dead media and we're doing teen, teen wolf right now, whether or not, you know, you're, I don't know if people are tuning in to listen to what I th- actually think about the show. They're probably tuning in to listen to Dustin be funny. Um, but if you don't, you know, it's about, it's about what you want to do as a reader to watch the go see the film yourself 
is it worth my time? Is it worth my money to go see the film? Uh, you have a reviewer that you you disagree with, and you like to hear their contrary review, or a reviewer that you like and and you respect their opinion. You want to get that reinforcement of your own opinion. Reviews are for the audience. That's what they're for. They're not for the critic. And I think that this is very much a review that's written for the critic and for the people who agree with him. It's it's his. It feels. It yeah, feels a little bit like self-congratulatory academia, patting myself on the back type of thing for the cocktail party well, down in uh, the Upper West Side. You know, having known quite a few academics in the course of my life, very few of them are actually, I, I do know a few that are, but I'm, very few of the academics that I've known um, come across like this. Snobs. Well, you know, it's, okay, snob, snob's coming. Snob's coming See, every, every, and and that's the funny part. Like I said, with the video, he doesn't come across that way. Yeah. But this video, this 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 review, and the other ones that he's written, mm-hmm. makes him appear to be mm-hmm. that snobbish, better than you. I know more than you. You should listen to me because I'm. I'm well, there is a school smart. of thought. There is, you know, there's there's that. You are always going to get somebody in the wonderful world of criticism, especially in film criticism, who people are going to sit there and go, well, you know, the French films are always better than the American films, mm. or, you know, the, this, right. this, the South American films are always going to be better than, the, than the, uh, the Russian films, and the Russian films are always going to be better than the Spanish films, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? You know, and, and everyone's going to have their favorite little period of time where this decade or this 20-year period where these people were, the, these works of genius in these little areas were, were developed. Yes. Pick a country. They've all, you know, it, you know, we talk a lot about the American film market, of course, because we're here. And that's just what we get most of, and, and we, don't get enough, we don't get enough international films over here anyway. There's some great work being done out there. But um, it's just the natural thing. You know, you focus on your own countries your own language's output right. for, for entertainment, right? Sure. Um, so, and Hollywood goes a lot of places outside the United States. Sure, but that's because yeah. they have money to do it. They have yeah. the money in the reach, and you go to some of the smaller well, markets. market, too. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, you look at... Uh, we're con- you know, in the, we talk about horror films a lot uh, on the site and, and, and in The Walking Dead stuff, but there's a lot of South American horror that at various points has come out, and people sit there and go... What is this? It's like, well, these people have been around for twenty years down there making movies, and mm. it's the film that breaks into the American market, right? right? Or right. or J horror, brand new, right? You yeah. know, Korean horror films or, or uh, Japanese horror films, uh, and they hit that right note in the American audience. But we all have these personal things that we like, right? And the things, and so there's something to be said. Becoming an expert in that really kind of specific niche of the art film. And right. so, and to some degree, yes, you're going to go to the New Yorker with the expectation of finding probably a good number of art film reviews. And quite frankly, if there's some, you know, New York is a great place to have art films be screened. Sure, you have the kind of you have the kind of theater setup you can actually have art films. But I think, uh, However, I, if I'm if I'm looking at the site right, and and the the site does not give you a place where you can just go to the meet the staff page mm-hmm. like ours has. But it doesn't look like they've got anybody else as a film reviewer other than Mr. Brody. 
Well, and I think that that may be... I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's just on, on the surface appearance what it looks well, like. Well, for a lot of papers, that's the case. I mean, you have one person yeah. who's doing the reviews, but I think that it, it, you end up with... You're, you're not likely to end up with too many Siskel and Eberts because those guys knew everything. Yeah. And they disagreed a lot. I mean, they would Leonard have... Leonard Moulton would be another one. Yeah, well, yeah. They, they, they immersed themselves in the totality of film. Yeah. And I think that's a real, that's one of the reasons that those critics are renowned as they are. They, their, their reviews have the weight that they did. Yeah. You know, when, when Siskel and Ebert not only had a TV show, but they had books being published. And every year, you know, them, Malton would actually have books come out. And you would go and buy the book of movie reviews. You had seen the films. Mm-hmm. You had you were reading reviews for films you had not watched, yeah. and probably would not watch if you sat there because he reviewed everything, and well, not everything, but I mean you know such Just a about. wide range. And he'd go to you know they they would go to all of them would go to festivals and they'd watch films that were never going to get wide distribution. Yeah, and, and they'd sit there and, and tell you those too, and they tell you this is why if you can watch this movie, and they would review highbrow and lowbrow, and yes, you know. They all had they had their personal tastes where they might sit there and go, this is a dumb comedy film, and I hate dumb comedy films. And they would tell you, but they'd review the movie. Yeah, I remember uh, I remember watching Entertainment Tonight one night. Leonard Maltin was their film critic for the longest time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he still is or not. I don't think so. Star Trek Three came out. Yeah. I hadn't seen it yet. And Maltin had a review. Mm-hmm. And the clip he led with was Kirk... Walking into Spock's quarters, mm-hmm. and you hear, Jim, you left me on Genesis. Why did you do that? And then Leonard Moulton looks at the camera and says, well, it's because so they can make a sequel. <laughs> and he, he goes in and, and does a fairly balanced review. Sure. But he had fun with the review. He, oh, yeah. and you could tell that he was enjoying what he does. Sure. And I don't get that impression from Brody's review. Well, and there's a, you know... As, as it an, felt like he was forced to watch this movie. Well, yeah, I don't think he... It doesn't seem like he enjoyed it. It doesn't... I mean, leaving aside his uh, his review... What gave you the first <laughs> clue? <laughs> leaving aside the actual writing of the review, even if he didn't... wasn't It wasn't his job to write a review. Yeah. It's clear that this is not an experience that he enjoyed. No. And I have watched some really bad movies that I have enjoyed. Um, I have a I have a long slew of guilty pleasure movies that I'm like I cannot <laughs> recommend this film, but I will watch this. Deep Rising, Deep um, Rising is not a good movie, no. but I laugh so hard when I watch that film because it is so <laughs> much fun. I, I was reading, uh, um, gosh, there was there was some website might have been uh, Dread Central, maybe I can't remember, but they were doing a. Uh, some retro reviews, and they were talking about um, was it Deep Star Six or Leviathan? Leviathan, oh, then, right, yeah. right. And of course, that Leviathan came out right by, by the time the Abyss came out, and it was an underwater monster movie. And it's basically aliens under underwater, mm-hmm. and it's not good, but it's a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> and they took it seriously. I mean, the cast and crew took it oh, seriously. Sure. Yeah. And Winston, uh, Stan Winston did the monster. So there's a lot of oh, okay. there's something there's a lot of neat little things to it, but it's not a good film. 
you know, so you you can enjoy bad movies, and you can you can go and have a bad experience at a you can go and have a bad experience at a good film. There are people you go back to the history of movie reviews, and you can find people who completely miss the point of the movie. Oh yeah, well, television same way. Oh I sure. I mean, you remember the TV Guide's review of Star Trek? Star oh, Trek yeah, won't sure. work. <laughs> so I think you you know it's this <laughs> we've been picking on the New Yorker and Brody, but this is not a new thing. This has happened before. It will happen again. All this has happened before. It will happen again. The problem is, is that someone needs to get him a thesaurus, and he needs to go <laughs> the opposite direction, because usually... Oh, punctuation. For, 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 the period. What, it is the, okay it, to a use a period. And if you don't, people are going to look at it and go, take a breath, take a breath, take a breath. For the love of God, man, take a breath. Because <laughs> that's really what it feels like. Is, you know, oh, Yeah. Well, and I even did just just so everybody can know that I had a little fun with it last week. Oh, yeah. And when we posted, I wrote a sentence. Mm-hmm. I I wrote a little little something something. Yeah. In that same style, and I tell you, every time I got to a point, I was like, I should put a period here. <laughs> nope, gotta keep going. I should put a period here. Nope, gotta keep going. And I I think I was like four or five lines long by the time I got done. You know where you can do that? You can do that in dialogue. You can have a character who just keeps going, and it's yeah. one long sentence, and it can turn you, into... You can, but in those particular moments, you're still going to break it up with a he said or he implied. Well, or no, no, no. I mean, if you if you something. write like a paragraph and a half of one person <clears throat> saying something, mm-hmm. in the, you know, uh, Joss Whedon could write you know, a paragraph and a half of someone right. just doing dialogue, and it would be... And, and have no punctuation, except but, for them just like, you know, the comma But I don't think you do... I don't think... See, the thing about it is, well, the one thing that but, that just really got me about, about Brody's stuff was the interjectory stuff. You know, the stuff that he would write when... If you're going to describe something, you use those little phrases that, when you <laughs> use them, apply to a certain part of the sentence that when it's done right, you, you can understand a little bit more descriptive about, you know, I, I just, just kept on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it is a, you know, there was a reason I wanted to, to mention these other reviewers is that it's, like I said again, it's okay to not like the film. Yes. But you have to have an argument to make from. Uh, a place to stand where you're on actually ground <laughs> leave let's leave aside, you know, stable ground, right? Or you have to have like a, a point that you could plant your feet down and go, okay, this is this is where I'm going to make my argument, yeah. and be able to justify it. It can still be not, mostly ground. It's not that long a review. No, it's not. And he manages in the course of that review to get so much wrong in everything that I want out of a critic. <laughs> Which again, it's just, if if you if you are a fan of his and you've enjoyed his reviews and he's written some review that you're really really happy with, good for you. And if you actually didn't like the film and you thought his New Yorker review hit the nail on the head, fantastic. However, <laughs> um, there are there are much better negative reviews out there that aren't full of misapprehensions about the series, um, what it's for, no. what it's meant to do. No. And I would be really, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't see that he's going to be the kind of person you're going to want to go to for any of the Star Wars films in the future. <laughs> but if he is, I imagine we'd be able to come back and go, well, 
He did it again. Thank you, New Yorker, for providing more material for us to work with. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, uh, to be fair, I don't think that we're going to be doing this kind of a fisking very often. The annual, the annual the fisking. Annual, <laughs> the airing of the grievances. I got a lot up. I got a bone to pick with you. Oh, we haven't even had an airing of the grievances oh, episode. We could do we that. Could oh, do we could do that. Yes. And next, stay in, and next stay in, festivus. And stay in genre. Next festivus, we'll do an airing of the grievances. <laughs> um, I got a lot of problems with you people. I could, I could do that at our next staff meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not a new thing. Um, <laughs> just more of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, I, 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 I kid. We have I, a good staff. I, I tell you what we ought to do, though. We ought to do a worst of. A worst of. The genre, anything? Well, because yeah. I mean, because uh-huh. we cover we cover books and music and television sure. and comic yeah. books and games and all those things. Yeah. Um, and every year, somebody rolls something out that is terrible, not goodish. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a worst of, yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of places do. They get the, the top ten and the, and the worst uh, ten, and, yeah. and we generally don't do the worst ofs. Okay. We've, we've done pretty good at staying if, away from the worst. If ofs. our podcast survives that long, <laughs> then we will do. A, we'll, we'll plan on a. We'll plan on an airing of the grievances and a worst of. Uh, those two episodes will come toward the end of <laughs> the end of 2017 if we if we last that long. I'm sure we will. Yeah, we've we've right. so far so good. Yeah. Our... Well, we have lasted this long for this episode. That's right. Uh, and uh, so now it's your turn. If you've got uh, thoughts that you would like to share with us, you can send those to uh, h2o at sci-fi4me.com, or you can leave a comment on all of our social media. And if you're into video games, be sure to check out our Twitch channel. Uh, and our other podcasts over at iTunes and podcast.com and uh, whatever other player of choice that you have or a Double Twist and Stitcher. And, uh, of course, the latest headlines over at SciFiForMe.com, which includes the horror. And we will have another discussion of some sort. We tend to. Probably with some digressions. It's been known to such. happen. Next week. Until then, I'm Jason Hunt. I'm Timothy Harvey. And we do thank you for joining us this week. We will be back with another episode next week. This has been a presentation of Sci Fi for Me Radio, copyright 2017, by Flaming Dog Media LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci Fi for Me Radio. 